And welcome back, everybody, to part two with Mr. Paul Gornson of Encore Energy, where we talk about Gen 3 and moving forward with the nuclear industry. Okay, now this is part two. <laughs> <laughs> that was simple. So yeah. I, I really like where you're, how you put it, that Generation 1 was the people like Dennis Stover that created this. And, 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 I, and I heard, I've heard them refer to themselves as, as people would call them baby miners, where they would take small uh, projects that weren't economical for convention and, and be able to, to produce. Um, right. And th their own words, your Generation 2, which took it and put it onto a, a big scale. And you've worked for some very large companies, correct? Yes, that's right. Uh, I'd say the largest I worked for was BHP Billiton, but that was not in production. That was really, they, they acquired us through uh, various acquisitions. And it was, uh, it was a very small, I was a very, very, very small fish in a very, very large pond of 65,000 employees around the world. But I say the, the probably the most, the, the big company I've worked for where I gained the most uh, appreciation and also uh, helped me you know, it was kind of like a, a, a big piece of my career was working for Cameco. And uh, that is a, I'll say that Cameco is strictly a uranium producer, uh, uranium miner, which fit my niche. And uh, also uh, they have a strong uh, management culture. And uh, so it was a good experience to work for them, but it was a big company. So it took, a, you know, decisions didn't happen overnight. They couldn't uh, because of the, the size of the organization, the size of their board, it took a, a bit of time to get through decisions to make to when they make commitments. It's not a fault. It's a feature of that process. And, my, favorite, uh, my favorite movie scene, uh, Kathy Bates. Do, do you know the, I can't remember the name of the movie, Fried Green Tomatoes or something like that. When okay. she goes to get in the, I don't know if you know it, but like she goes to get in a parking spot and she's like an unhappy middle-aged housewife and at a crossroads in her life. And she's driving this beater station wagon and she tries to go into a parking spot at a grocery store and this little red Corvette pulls in and it's got two very young, attractive blondes, convertible. Um, and you know, she's frustrated and she says, um, you know, that was my parking spot and she's very polite and they 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 had attitude and they looked at her and they said face it lady we're younger and faster and <laughs> and she put the car in in drive and jammed it into the the little red corvette and they came screaming back and said what's your problem and she said i'm older and i have more insurance <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i i appreciate that more as i age so dear gen two so we need we need generation three in in the industry because now the industry is is coming back you're advancing projects towards production there's a need for for more uranium for nuclear like how do we get generation three well that's that's a good question that's what i've been focusing on right you know as we and my role here is that uh, in, in addition to getting, you know, the company into production and everything else, it has to be a sustainable business. And uh, to be sustainable, uh, it can't be a bunch of guys who are just a few years from, you know, official you know, retirement age when we start getting our Social Security checks. Uh, so it's got to be someone, you got to have another generation. That's what we've been working on. So we've been, for me, 
I built, I started building that, that network, that third generation network, literally 15 years ago at, at uh, Mustania. And so a lot of these guys came right out of school, started working for my company, you know, for us, trained in how to do in such a recovery, whether they're geologists or engineers, and uh, provided as much latitude as they needed to learn and to take chances and take risk. And of course, you know, what happens with that, you know, all the great dreams can be always confounded by other other priorities. And Fukushima happened and, and uh, the, the uranium industry industry collapsed. And so as a result, those folks went and found jobs elsewhere. But don't think I had cleaned out my Rolodex, pardon <laughs> my reference to age. Uh, but I can tell you, Facebook Messenger has been a wonderful tool at finding people. And uh, I've been able to recruit most of the people who work for me as young engineers and geologists uh, to come back and work for us and be the, the that's our generation three. Now it's a limited group, but they're able to bring in other people. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's how I see we're going to build our long-term succession is by getting some of these, these hard chargers and fire eaters that I had working for me back in, in the, the mid 2000s uh, to come in and be the guys who are leading the organization yeah. uh, and uh, coming back in and having been there, done that, uh, and seeing an opportunity and a future, uh, they're going to come in and they're going to help be able to bring a, attract additional talent. And uh, and so far, it's paid off pretty well. We've been able to, in some cases where we've actually been trying to attract the talent, having people in their late 30s and early 40s being the, the site leaders has really helped attract young people to want to come work for us. Nice. nice. And uh so we haven't been doing a massive amount of hiring yet, but it just it's little by little as we have the need. But I'm I'm pretty happy with the the, the skill set of the people we've gotten, and uh, uh, fortunately by identifying people who are who I know as being high potential employees at the time, that gives them the ability to have high expectations for the people they hire to come in. So. Yeah. I feel pretty good about that. And, and, uh, and I feel that uh, I've been very fortunate to, you know, the one thing I learned long ago is never burn your bridges. You never know who's going to work, you're going to work for, work with, or who's going to work for you yeah. in the future. And so uh, it's a, it's a huge part of what you're doing. It really is. Yeah. You know, you're, you're the way I look at it, Encore and your team, along with other U.S. companies are, at the forefront of building the nuclear industry again. It, 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 yeah. it went into really a hiatus since 79 and I guess Three Mile Island. Mm -hmm. um, started producing less and less, but now people are starting to figure out that we need it and starting to figure out you need domestic uranium yep. in order to do it. A fair statement? Yeah, that's because... Uh... People have a tendency to believe their own press, and uh, they get they get uh, talked in, talked into the status quo when they believe the status quo will never change. A good example: you talk about nuclear energy, right? Uh, in the last run up of the uranium market, you know what the com com it was a nuclear renaissance, and not long after that, when Fukushima Daiichi happened, what was the talk about? Nuclear industry is dead; it's going to go away, never to come back. And get to here now, all of a sudden, guess what? We're talking about life extensions, 
power up rates on existing reactors. We're talking about new reactors. I mean, heck, the big news last week is that Vogel 3 turn, started generating election, electricity into the, to the grid. That's the newest power plant in the United States. Vogel 4 is not far behind. Uh, it took a while to get there because of, of a lot of, you know, we lost that uh, where, we, where, where the U.S. is lagging right now uh, on the reactor side. And it's in, generally in all manufacturing, uh, whether it's for something like we use for submersible pumps all the way to nuclear power, you know, the, the reactor vessels, the containment vessels, uh, that technology, the skill set is gone. It's been offshored. And, uh, uh, and so, Hopefully that we'll be able to re-onshore that. But for the moment, we we lost that when everybody thought, well, this is going to go away. We'll never need to keep that skill set. So they're perfectly willing to send it off to, that skill set off to China or to uh, Russia or or wherever, South America, wherever it goes, uh, rather than keep it here. And so we're kind of learning some lessons. But the uh, the main thing is that that uh, you know if I you know the, that is that um, Nothing stays static. Uh, as much as people want it to stay static and keep the status quo, uh, uh, there's a such thing as called the thermal, second law of thermodynamics, which to put it in a nutshell is that nature always abhors the status quo and is always trying to find uh, randomness to throw into the, to, to mix up the status quo. We see that in markets, right? We see that in markets, we see that in industries and everything else. So I could tell you that five years ago, the, the belief was is that the uranium price is going to be $20 a pound and stay there forever. In mm -hmm. fact, there was a, a trade report that said that, a couple of them, said it's going to be $20 a pound. When they say that, I, I, back in 2005, they said the uranium, or 2003, it was three, that the uranium price is going to stay $9 a pound forever. Wow. And that's the time I started buying uranium stocks because that usually once someone establishes what the status quo is going to be, it's going to change fairly quickly after that. And and sure enough, it did. Mm -hmm. uh, I could, you know, four years ago, yeah, four years ago, I was in a, giving a presentation on uh, the security supply of uranium and, you know, raising the, the specter that, there could be a coup, you know, political instability in Kazakhstan, or Russia could invade Ukraine and create massive amounts of disruption in the uranium supply, nuclear fuel supply chain. Mm -hmm. And I had a, you know, nuclear utility speak after me and start out the conversation by classing me as a gaslighter. Wow. Little did I know that I was going to have uh, uh, those two incidents occur on my 2022 bingo card. Wow. And, wow. uh, uh, not that I intend to be prescient. The thing is, is that uh, is that when you you wish things away, saying it's just never going to change for all these reasons, that's the time I become a contrarian. And uh, uh, when when they started saying that, I go, okay, well, now's the time to start looking for opportunities. And that's why one of the reasons why I ended up at Encore. So do you do you think people really understand that? Domestic source of energy is incredibly important to our national security, our quality of life. Uh, to, to me, offshoring, and, and I've been doing a bunch of research on this, offshoring metals production, it's, it, it, it all puts us all at risk within the country. 
Do, do you think people understand that yet? They're understanding it now yeah. more so than they did. Uh, the uh, there was this belief that if there's a McDonald's, wherever there's a McDonald's, you're going to have a a a, an, a market based economy or a friendly economy uh, because McDonald's, you know, is this, you know, McDonald's is in Beijing. It's uh, mm -hmm. there's one in, was one in Moscow and St. Petersburg and everything else like that. So. Uh, the belief that the almighty and trade dollar and trade global trade was going to keep people on the right side that works when you have market economies it's the same way the british empire kept the peace around the world by by leveraging the merchant their mercantile economy to to uh keep that uh, peace and keep that uh, flow of trade goods yeah. and uh but in these days we have situations where we believe they're fair, good trading partners, but in reality, they're creating, doing destructive work with against us, and uh, and they use it leveraging government-owned uh, companies, state-owned companies, to uh, uh, basically crush comp competition in a non-market-based fashion. But people don't want to believe that they want to live and they want to stick their heads in the sand. Oh no, no, it's all market to market condition, market condition. I remember walking into the Heritage Foundation with a report from the Commerce Department stating that the Russians were conducting price suppression. And they told me, well, we don't believe there should be any trade action against the Russians because we believe in free markets. Price suppression, lack of, a, you know, declare Russia as a non-market economy. And they still leverage on the fact that they believe, in, you know, it's all free markets. It's a one-way street, basically. Is what's become, and so uh, what it's manifested into most recently is the supply chain disruptions. If you recall, a year ago, right after COVID, you know, when the Chinese started locking down big portions of their economy, yep. getting materials and, and and everything else became almost impossible to get. You had to wait 12, 14 weeks to get something. It used to take two weeks to get, or most time prior to COVID was on the shelf, and. Uh, and that really, when you walk in the grocery store and you see empty shelves and suddenly you realize that, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's not that manufacturing stopped, it's that we allowed all of our, our supply chains to come to a halt. And uh, and then there's this, this whole uh, uh, chain reaction that we're still caught up in. Yeah. And... Uh, as a result of it, but it just shows that the, the the whole global trade situation is still running on. It's it's a it's like almost like a house of cards, and I think people are finally realizing that when they say that OPEC can cut back a hundred thousand, what a million pound barrels a day, or I don't remember what it, what number was, and guess what? Price, well, gasoline prices go up thirty percent overnight, uh, and uh, it, it's it, I think people are realizing that uh, the what they thought were easy things to get are becoming more difficult and are realizing that we need domestic production. It's yeah. an easy conversation to have, even with the, uh, when you got opposite, you know, conservative liberal conversations, everybody can come to an agreement on, we need to do it here because it's the only way we can make sure it gets onto our shelves. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, and I guess now we're at the point where if we we for having those conversations and, and it's a bipartisan conversation, now we need the impetus to to push them push them into action. It, yeah. it, because 
you've got a permit projects, you've got a construct project. I know Encore is in a very unique situation, owning three of the 10 licensed and built plants in the US for, for ISR, but, but we need, we're at Encore, you're, you're a part of the solution. You need, we need more. Yeah. And, and, and right now, and even an Encore, we've got our, our path forward and we've got a good, you know, a well-established path forward, but there's only a certain window to it. Right. So we got to keep adding and, and doing like more permitting to go beyond what we've got ahead of us. Uh, so we can continue to have a growing and state and, and, and growing and reliable production capacity and pipeline. And, uh, We've got we've got a, we've we were fortunate to have a situation where we we have we're able to get these licensed facilities and permanent facilities, uh, and uh, but you know we still have to go out and keep adding resources to feed those because I can tell you we we built them to be hungry beasts. Yeah, they 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 are they want they want production coming into them, and we got to keep that those those uh, those plants happy, otherwise they get grumpy. And and many adversaries that you've had in the past perhaps aren't adversaries anymore. Uh, nuclear is clean energy. Nuclear does reduce the carbon footprint. You don't have big yellow trucks, correct? Yeah, and so that's exactly right. So nuclear has gotten more favor. Even uranium mining you know, has gotten into favor. And so uh, an interesting thing is in the president's budget, the, the DOE budget, it clearly states in that, which is never done before, we need a reliable domestic supply of uranium and nuclear fuel. That has never been an, and stated that clearly uh, in, in a document like that. It's always been kind of hand, arm waving and everything else and trying to get around talking about your domestic uranium supply. But uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, activist groups that support the administration for environmental reasons and they have no love for uranium but the administration is still advancing policy because they realized that uh, we've dug a hole for ourselves by bad policy and we got to start digging ourselves out of it. Well, climbing out of it and stop instead of just stop digging and, you know, stop digging and climb out of the hole. Yeah. And uh, the only way we can do that really and, and be sure we can do it with some leverage is to do it here. And uh, gives us uh, leverage, whether it's mining uranium or enriching uranium or converting uranium to, to uranium hexafluoride. It's become very clear we need to do it here because before Russia provided the world's 40% of the world's demand, uh, and now it's an unreliable supplier. So we gotta we gotta fill that gap and I, we can do that here in America oh, yeah. more efficiently, in my opinion, than anywhere else. And, and it must feel good after investing your career in an industry that really was underappreciated and, and, and operating very quietly. It must feel very good to be at the forefront of what I think is a multi-decade uh, development of a key industry. Yeah, it's been, it's, 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 uh, it, it feels pretty good to see the, the fact that, you know, when you went, you know, it, it's uh, the perception of the industry and everything else. We've always known there's been that positive aspects, but it's never really been realized until recently. And, you know, I was in, in, in Washington, D.C. last week, pushing some, you know, supporting some legislation that had been introduced that would uh, uh, not only uh, restrict, put restrictions on, on imports of Russian uranium, but also provide authorization to rebuild our enrichment capacity in the U.S. 
and also uh, support domestic uranium production. Uh, I came back from Washington, D.C., and my someone asked me how it went. I said, it feels pretty good to be loved again. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that for a long, long time, but it, uh, uh, we had bipartisan offices talk to us, and, and everybody was very supportive of what we're doing. And so I can't say everybody's on board, you know, because there's 535 members of Congress, and we had only 40 meetings. But uh, we got a pretty good hunch as to where things are. And, and I could say that not only has nuclear gained significant bipartisan support, as example, through the, the, the bipartisan infrastructure law, as well as the inflation reduction law, uh, regardless of how those are named with what they actually accomplished, they still had a very strong recognition of nuclear power. Uh, that trans translates to support for domestic uranium. Yeah, and, no, uh, I think it's I, I think it's I think it's exciting, and I see the need for education because, like you say, there's just there's there's so much people don't know after so many years. I I, I know you spent a lot of time in Washington, um, working on on the, the greater good. Um, you're part of the Uranium Producers of America. Yep, I'm a on a, with the Uranium. I'm a past president, and and. Uh, a board member right now but yeah it's uh it's uh believe it or not that is an organization that's gone through big highs and lows but it uh, yeah. definitely punches well above its its weight class and on the hill I, I i bet um this has been great paul i i i'm excited about what you're doing at encore i want to have another conversation um uh, after you get through the next few months because i know you're pushing hard towards production um, and I'm, I'm keen on that too. So, um, I have one, one, can I lobby for something? Sure. Cause I'm thinking that since we had the conversation about Texas is where ISR, uh, your extraction of uranium really started. Can, mm -hmm. can, can we like give them an award or something? We'd have to think about how we would go about doing who would we give the award to? I don't know. I don't know. But I think I think we have to recognize their role in history. Yeah, I do. We we definitely need to. It's it's something that gets forgotten because yeah. like I said, you know, Wyoming gets all the glory and everything else because of uh its unique because of uh its unique history and New Mexico gets a lot of the glory because of its history. But Texas gets overshadowed by oil and gas. And uh, even when you go to the legislature, you know, 90 percent of conversations about oil and gas, not about uranium. And so it's a it does take a, a bit of a, you know, it, 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 I bet you we, you know, right now there's a bill in the Texas legislature uh, to uh, do a research on to to do a study on uranium resources. I'm wondering if we can't leverage that into like a, a house resolution or something or a legislative resolution recognizing the uh the the history of the uranium you know uh, the, the the accomplishments of the texas uranium industry and and its leadership and in situ leach or recovery and i bet you we could do that that would probably be something we get a house res a resolution on a, the floor of the legislature to uh proclamation yeah, I love it. You know, I, I'm big into self promotion. If you if you don't toot your own horn, who will, right? And yeah, take, take credit, take, take credit for it. Um, and I know a lot of your team at Encore is is part of that history. Mark Police, Mr. Over yourself, like yeah. EPA regulations. We got not only a, a, 
on our man, our technical team, but our man, our board of directors is yeah. chock full of uh, pioneers. Yeah. Okay. There's our next project. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think cool. that, that's a project that's actually could be achieved fairly uh, straightforwardly. Well, there, there. That's uh, I, I, I earned my. I spoke for my supper today. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much, Paul. I really enjoyed this, and um, I hope you join us again. And best of luck at Encore as you keep pushing towards production. Thanks a lot, Janice. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Again, thank you to our guest, Paul Gordon, um, and we'll see you next time.